5 million ways to kill a CEO. 5 million ways to kill a CEO. Happy May Day, everybody. This is the Bro Diallo broadcast on my most favoriteest of all holidays. I told you Earth Day was the vegan New Year. And now I'm telling you, May Day is the revolutionary Labor Day. Labor Day. Um, we started our morning. Wait, first, this is the Bro Diallo Show, May 1st, 2023, May Day. The revolutionary international workers of the world, anarchist, socialist holiday, a day of resistance, a day of revolution. Happy May Day to all my class conscious, proletariat, revolutionary, pan Africanists. I am broadcasting straight out of the studios of Q4 here on the west side, Chicago, city of Chirac, state of Illinois, in the United States of America, cuh, cuh, on the over-ravaged, hyper-exploited planet Earth in the misnamed Milky Way galaxy. I am so, so happy you're here with me. I'm glad to be here this morning. It's still, you know, unseasonably cold. But to me, any day that's under 80 degrees is cold. So don't go by me. You can't go by that. And, of course, I had to play some of my favoritest, some of my favoritest worker, some of my favoritest labor music, labor songs. You know, when you look into it, um, there is a lot of progressive reggae, hip-hop, blues music that represent the labor struggle militant labor struggle, labor resistance, class consciousness, and of course, workers' rebellion and uprising. So I just selected some of my favorites, but I'd like to play some of the old ones from the Great Depression era, from, from the, the uh, revolutionary, industrial revolution era, some of the anarchist uh, labor songs, the, the early communist labor uh, songs, early, early socialist labor songs. But I, I wanted to play some modern songs first. But if we got time later in the show, I'm definitely going to bump some of that uh, old school. Which side are you on, boy? Which side are you on and, and Union Strong to commemorate this Labor Day? But until then, I played uh, Edge to Worker, Cutting Cane in the Florida. I am an Edge to Worker. One of my favorite labor songs. See, that's the thing, man. The labor movement in this country is a is a motherfucker. But I played H2 Worker, Muda Baruka, the Rasta, Jamaican Rasta, who, interestingly enough, probably the only one I, prominent Rasta I know who shuns the consumption of cannabis. He does not smoke weed, but he is a Rastafari. Go figure. But he doesn't take the sacrament of the oily herb. But H2 Worker, which is a song about the, the many Haitian and other Caribbean uh, workers who were brought here on visas, who were brought here to work on special H2 Worker visas, who live in slave conditions, play, paid starvation wages away from their families in dangerous conditions, exposed to dangerous machinery without protection, without protective covering. And... Uh, I mean, it's just it's it's there's one really good documentary on the H2 worker, but it also there's another good documentary on a broader the uh, 
Life on Debt. I think Mutaparuka did the soundtrack or the, the, the song for that. Life and Debt. It's a it's an older documentary, but still relevant. Life on Debt. Freedom not yet. But anyway, so he made that song, I'm an edgy worker. He said, don't bite the hand that feeds you. Because the United States eat off of foreign, eat off of migrants, eat off of illegal aliens, and then abuse the shit out of them. So Mutabaruka said, don't bite the hand that feeds you. So the edge to worker. And then I play my more favoritist. I love this song, Alien, Hold On To Your Dreams by Gil Scott Heron. This is a song about migrant workers. This is a song about migrant workers from, from Latin America. So I play one about migrant workers from, from Caribbean. And this is a song about migrant workers from, from Latin America. And he said, you, you know, you're coming here to be abused. The gringos, the coyotes abusing you, killing you, letting people die in the deserts. To come here to work in inhumane conditions for, again, starvation wages. And so you have these two African men, one, both of the African diaspora, one the Caribbean, one the United States, one from Harlem in the U.S., making songs about Haitian immigrant workers and Latin American Mexican immigrant workers. And I played those two songs specifically because they're my favorite labor songs, my favorite pro-proletarian, pro-worker songs, anti-capitalist songs, but they're also singing about Mexican and Haitian migrant workers just to, because these two songs, I think, embodied the militant labor struggle the international workers of the world, the Wobblies, the anarcho-socialists. And then I played, I think this is a labor struggle song. To me, this is a labor song, and I know they don't specifically speak about the workers, the struggles of workers, the struggles of laborers. They speak about the, the injustice. That it talks about five million ways to kill a CEO. You can throw a 20 in a vat of hot oil when he jump in after it. Watch him boil. What's clever about this song is the ways he says you can kill CEOs is by exploiting their greed because they're greedy parasites. They're psychopathic hyper-consumerists, materialists. He says, so you tell them boogers be selling like crack and he going to stuff the little baggies in his nose and suffocate like that. But And then at the end... Boots Riley from the coup, so that's uh, five million ways to. And I, I'll start. I'm please. I'm forgive me. I'll start putting my music selections in the, uh, in the, uh, put the links to the to the songs in the chat or somewhere. I'll share them. Cause, you know, we got to start bigging up and bringing back revolutionary music, man. Gosh, but anyway, he said, oh, we could all retire. We could kill the CEOs if we all retired. If we just had a general strike." We wouldn't have to take up arms. We wouldn't have to petition and protest. We could just stop. That's it. Because we are the wealth generators. We are the law enforcement. These parasites, these pigs, these King Charleses, these Jeff Bezoses, they don't do shit. There is no reason to look up for them. These ball chasers, these celebrities who are High-level servants of the capitalist elites. They are our enemies. They are our class enemies. 
We got class oppressors in the Bezos, in the Bidens and Trumps. Those are oppressors, but then we have class enemies, people who come from us, who look like us, who we imagine are with us. LeBron James is his sis. 50 cents, these entertainers, these propagandists, these celebrities who know who should know better, who should be with us, who betray us, who betray the working classes, who betray the black masses in order to enjoy just a small fraction of the wealth that the true elites, the DuPonts, Rothschilds, that they have, the Walton family. And we really think they on our side. But anyway, like I said, it's May Day. Most people in the United States, my, my, listen, my international listeners will understand May Day. But most people in the United States where May Day was started don't know nothing you don't know nothing because we had this thing called labor day and only good thing about labor day is the west indian day parade but labor day is propaganda labor day in the united states is a mind fuck they played you because the real labor day is may 1st around the world every country around the world recognizes and all conscious and militant labor unions around the world recognize and participate in Labor Day. The United States, where it started, oh, not just the United States, Chicago. I'm literally on Chicago Avenue, just west. If I got in, the, in my car and drove east, I would end up in just a couple of miles right in the center of the Haymarket Square, where the Haymarket riot took place. Chicago is the home of labor struggle, militant armed labor struggle. And there's no commemoration. There's not a peep. There's nothing. In Chicago, Christmas times, the whole city is lit up for Christmas. The whole city is lit up for, for everything. They turn the goddamn Chicago River completely green for St. Patrick's Day. There's memorials all over this city to everything, to the Ukrainian war, to the 9-11 tragedy. The false flag, a 9-11 attack. But there's nothing to commemorate Labor Day. Maybe if I went to some old musty, you know, seedy corner of Chicago <laughs> where the crust punks hang out, maybe I might see a little sticker on a on a on a uh a little sticker on a light post you know but shout out to the militant labor movement of the United States the United States had the most violent labor movement and now we don't even know we don't even call ourselves labor we used to be labor we used to be the workforce now we what do we call ourselves human resources and we let our oppressors call us human resources, and now we call ourselves human resources. I need a job. I'm going to go to human resources. And we don't even see it as dehumanizing anymore. It's just a term. It doesn't mean anything. If it doesn't mean anything, why they change it? Why they no longer call us laborers, workers? Why did they start calling us human resources? 
And then we doing all this correction of language, which I agree with. We don't call little people midgets. We don't call disabled people. Uh, 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 we don't call disabled people um, handicapped. We correct in all this terminology. We're being more mindful in all this terminology. But one thing that's degrading, we're giving people more humane. We're calling people by titles that are more accurate. That are that we don't call people crazy. We we even say, you know, they're neuroatypical and neurotypical. We're changing all this language to be more inclusive, more humane, more empowering of the people we title. But we call ourselves as the massive workers. Not over 90 percent of the population, we call ourselves human resources and nobody blinks. We don't even recognize the propaganda, the mind fuck. Prior to the militant labor movement in the United States, the average work week in the United States under capitalism was six days a week. You only got Sundays off. And the average worker in the United States, whether it is an agricultural worker who were the biggest labor force worked in agriculture until the Industrial Revolution, and then it became laborers and manufacturers. The average work week in the United States prior to the, the militant labor uprising was 100 hours a week. Black people said you work from can to can't. You ever been down south, been around some some elders in the south, and they say, well, we work from can to can, from can to can. That means you work until you can't see till you can't see. That means you literally work from the moment the sun crested on the horizon, the moment the sun came up to the moment the sun came down. And now these crazy, unrealistic people that we all laugh at, that we all think are crazy and we think are lazy and that we are dissing today, the anarchist the socialist, the communist went to war, got died and were executed and falsely imprisoned to say, listen, give us eight. Eight to work, eight to leisure, eight to sleep. That didn't come from capital. People are like, yeah, I live in a capitalist country. That's why I'm so comfortable. I live in a capitalist country. That's why I have all these rights. I live. You don't have a goddamn thing in your life. There's nothing in your life that you appreciate. I don't give a damn about what you think it is. There's nothing in your life that makes it worth living that came to you as a result of capitalists. Nothing. The technology. The leisure, the vacation. The ability to go to work and where they can't lawfully expose you to toxic chemicals or hazardous work environment. And if they do, your capacity to sue your employer. All of that came as a result of revolutionary militant struggle. The capitalists haven't given you shit. And we still sitting here crediting the capitalists for making our lives good as we see on a daily basis the capitalists whittling away and eroding everything the militant labor movement secured for us because we don't even know where the shit came from and we grown folks love to talk about how kids don't appreciate shit how the young folks are so entitled when it's the adults we who they 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 are the kids are pissed off because we enjoyed shit we didn't fight for 
We got to be beneficiaries of things that other people fought and died for, and we took them for granted. We listened to the capitalists retell the history and lie to us. People still out here thinking uh, Henry Ford, that fucking Nazi, is responsible for the living wage and eight-hour workday. When before Henry Ford implemented the eight-hour workday, there was already 40 years worth of militant armed uprising and struggle to get that 40-hour workday. There's literally nothing in your life as a worker, nothing in your life as a laborer, nothing in your life as a person who is not a member of the economic capitalist elite. There is nothing in your life that makes it worth living that the capitalists have given to you. And if you believe that the capitalism has given you anything, opportunity, if you believe that, it's because of your indoctrination. Not because of any facts, any research, or any analysis that you've engaged in. Because analysis, facts, and research would lead you to the same conclusion that I have. Capitalism ain't giving a shit. Capitalism only takes. Prior to the militant labor struggle, the average worker was working six to seven days a week, more than 100 hours a week, no benefits, no right to lobby, nothing. If you had no right to protective gear and equipment, and if you were injured on the job, they'd literally drag you out to the front of the factory and go back in. And they didn't care because people were so starving and hungry, there'd be 100 other people showing up with hat in hand. You think capitalism is the reason America is so rich and capitalism is why America has such a great middle class. The white middle class is a product of welfare programs, not hard work and sacrifice and entrepreneurialism. We got black people out here right now. Earn your leisure. All these financial gurus telling us we can entrepreneur our way to freedom. Ice Cube writing up public policy. Fucking Ice Cube. Wrote a contract for black America. This motherfucker assigned himself to go be a spokesperson for black people after getting rich off of being an anti-African propagandist. Encouraging anti-social genocidal behavior within the black community. Got rich and then gonna go somewhere and write an entrepreneurial solution. When the people who imposed capitalism in us knew that they couldn't use entrepreneurialism to bring up their masses telling us this lie got us going to waste how many more generations how many more black lives how many more generations we're going to waste struggling over bullshit that we would lose even if we win but more on that later in the the program may day may 1st came out of the fight by anarchists and militant labor the federation of labor the Knights of Labor, communist, said, listen, let's white work for an eight-hour workday. And the factory owners, the owners of the means of production, the security forces, the, the local militia thugs, said, if you want to work an eight-hour workday, hell no. Nah. And if you try for it, we're going to kill you. So there was a proclamation of militant labor because before they were just appealing, saying, be humane. You know, we're the workers. We're the hand that feeds you and you bite us every day. And we got that shit reversed. We t literally telling people that go to work, don't bite the hands that feed you because you think you, the Walmart is feeding you. 
You think that the Walton family, the richest family in the United States, is feeding you. You think Bezos is feeding. No, the elites are the most dependent people in the society. And we think that they're doing something for us. Y'all really praising LeBron James for coming to open up a school in an impoverished community. And he wouldn't be a multi-billionaire if it wasn't for the parasitic capitalist policies that have ravaged the very city he claims he come from and he claims he loves so much. This lack of class consciousness got us as fucked up as the lack of racial solidarity. And racial solidarity without class consciousness leads you leads you to think an ice cube is doing you a favor when he writes up his contract on black America. Got you joining ADOS and FBA because you got racial solidarity, but no class consciousness. You're basically a liability to your people's any type of justice or liberatory struggles if you are pro-black militant conscious, but you lack class consciousness. But anyway, let me read the May 1st, 1886 proclamation. I think we need to revive this. I think we need to revive this. There were four points in the 1886 May, May Day, May 1st. It wasn't on May Day. May Day came a little after, but it was May 1st for some reason. Well, I mean, the May 1st was considered the entry into the spring and summer and the, the reawakening time. And this is also, you understand that the early parts of the Industrial Revolution, most of the economy was agriculture. Most of the workers and laborers were agricultural workers. So May was a time where labor was really mobilized to plant and to, to get, get the uh, harvest, I mean, prepare for the planting and the sowing and all, a lot of work around May 1st. So on May 1st, militant anarchists, socialists, communists, and these were all allied groups. Now, the anarchists were like compromising themselves because the anarchists was, didn't agree with this eight-hour workday bullshit. The anarchists literally said whether a man works, this is a direct quote, whether a man works eight hours a day or ten hours a day, he's still a slave. We shouldn't be asking anybody to give us shit. Because even if you say, I only want to work eight hours, you got to, 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 you still have a boss. You still have a supervisor. You still have an owner. So the anarchist was like, man, fuck eight hours a day. We ain't asking for shit. We giving demands. We not, we not making requests. But the socialist and organized labor unions were like, eh, let's take it step by step. Let's cool it down. You got to cool it now. So the anarchists were some wild boys. Shout out to the anarchists, white anarchists. And like I said, this is the 1886. Black people ain't even been off the plantation for two, 24 years. So black folks was just kind of watching like, God, no, no. there were some black militant laborers, but this is mostly white folks' business. Right? And white folks, and this is the thing about critical race theory. White people are like, oh, white folks don't even teach white history. White people do not teach their children their own goddamn history. And we still thinking, well, we got to teach black study, Africana studies. These crackers don't teach their own history to their own goddamn kids. They lie to themselves. What makes you think they can tell us the truth? But anyway, let me read this proclamation. I love it. So on May 1st, 1886, the Unified Labor of Militant Labor Organizations put out a proclamation, a May Day proclamation. I'm calling it the May Day proclamation. That wasn't the name of it. But it, they just call it a, the Labor or Workers Proclamation. But 
and it was released in 1886, right? And the first of the proclamation says, war to the palace, peace to the cottage. <laughs> war to the palace, peace to the cottage. Because poor people lived in the cottage. Poor people lived in cottages. The laborers, the peasants, the serfs lived in college. And the palace is where the elites live. So they say, we're going to bring war to the palace and peace to the cottage. Black people, if you really want to get your thug on, don't do thuggery in the poor communities. Don't do thuggery and, and antisocial behavior. Take that shit to the Gold Coast. And I see black kids doing that now. Now, in the, in, 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 when it was the George Floyd rebellion, the George Floyd uprising, it's like, why are you running up and down King Drive? Ain't shit there. Black kids went up. <laughs> the youth, the rebellious youth, went up to the Gucci store. <laughs> they went to where the good shit was and tore that shit down. And I tell you, I would turn on the TV here in Chicago and they were like rioting. Three days of rioting, unrest, uprising. Oh, National Guard. Oh, Lord. And I walked out my front door on South Side in Bronzeville. Vincennes, Washington Park. I'm in the hood. Ain't a broke window. There's not even a turnt over trash reciprocal. It was shit was calm and nice. And all the little rebels were sleeping in their beds with pl sugar plums because when the youth got up, they were uprising and rebelling and reclaiming territory. They took their asses to where all the luxury stores are. I mean, good sense. War to the palace, peace to the cottage. If you like, fuck this system. I'm not trying to be a human resource. I ain't even trying to do the nine to five. You got the spirit of an anarchist, but you got to have the class consciousness. So go to where the money reside, where the money reside in the wealthy neighborhoods. Go to where the money reside. So anyway, war to the palace, peace to the cottage, death to the luxurious idleness. So they said we're going to bring war to the palace, peace to the cottage and death to the luxurious idleness. Man, I wish social media was around in 1886. Well, we did have media. Don't nobody read that shit. We got archives. We got documentation. And now we, when we see somebody in luxurious idleness, we are hashtag goals. That's why I'm trying to get like that. Instead of being disgusted. Because when you see somebody on a private jet, when you see somebody on a luxury lot in, in the United Arab Emirates, when you see somebody at award shows for pimps and hoes and every other hypocrite to show off their clothes. When you see that shit, you should look at it with scorn. You should look at it with, with hostility. You should say death to the luxurious idleness. But not only do the elites have you so goddamn trained that you don't look at the elites with scorn and hostility. The elites got you so brainwashed that you turn to other poor and working class people and admonish them for hating Floyd Mayweather. Well, you hate get yours. You can't get yours because yours is stolen by the capitalists and put behind barbed wire fence. And then other class traders, cops and security guards are standing there willing to kill you for showing up to reclaim your shit. So that's one 
War to the palace, peace to the cottage, and death to the luxurious items. Number two, the proclamation. It states, the wage system is the only cause of the world's misery. It is supported by the rich classes, and to destroy it, they must either be made to work or die. What they are saying is, no more Bezos sitting in a yacht. No more Jeff Bezos flying around in a fucking rocket ship. No more chilling in a, in a, in a, a skyscraper. And, and they were surrounded by luxurious idleness. If you want some of this money, I don't give a damn if you got a patent. I don't care if you got a deed. I don't care. Work, motherfucker. So Bezos, take your ass to the Amazon warehouse. Get your ass on the truck. Take your ass door to door delivering packages all goddamn day. Or you don't get shit. Work or die. Trump can't sit somewhere with contracts. Sit in, sit on his golden toilet. His latest underage bride that he got shipped in from, from his homie, Epstein. Trump can't sit there in idleness. If Trump wants, to, wants money, then he has to go to the Trump Tower and strip and bluff the floors, make up some beds, stand behind the reception counter with a little pill hat on when the, somebody rings the bell. Work or die for the elites. You have to make the elites join the labor force, meaning class suicide. We need to eliminate the elite classes. This is number three. Now, I didn't write this. This is what in the 18, late 1800s, the late, let me find that link. It says one pound of dynamite is better than a bushel of ballots. These crack, these white boys were not playing. These white folks was not playing. And this movement was men and women. This is the 1800. This is one of the first movements that was both men and women because the revolutionaries of America, they didn't even give women, acknowledge women existed for anything other than breeding and servitude, the intimately oppressed. But the point three, the proclamation says a one pound of dynamite is better than a bushel of ballots. This is what? This is like almost 100 years before Malcolm X said the ballot or the bullets. But you know how white folks get down when it comes to violence. They said the dynamite, oh, not or the bullet ballot. They said the dynamite or the, or, or the fuck the vote. And then the final one, part of that proclamation, before they, the workers took to the streets, on May 1st, 1886, it says, make your demand for eight hours with weapons in your hands. Make your demands with weapons in your hands. Make your demands with weapons in your hands. Make your demand for eight hours with weapons in your hands to meet the capitalistic bloodhounds, police, and militia in a proper manner. The United States has the most militant, had the most militant labor uprising. United States had the most militant and, and, and bloody labor struggle in the history of 
capitalism in the history of Western culture. And that history has been a race. The U.S. working class was one of the most militant working classes. This is before the Bolshevik Revolution. This is before the, the Mensheviks and the before the militant labor uprisings in China. The United States was where all the workers from all over the rest of the world looked to like, damn. We don't have to be peasants and serfs. We are the labor force. And it's gone. The U.S. working class has been completely hollowed out. The political class consciousness of the U.S. work. And like I said, these is white folks. Now, we had black folks in the militant labor movement. But like I said, we were still trying to just go around the country gathering up our uh, ancestors and relatives and family members and husbands, wives, and children that were sold. And we were still trying to recoup. We had the Reconstruction era. But the militant labor struggle were also some of the first integrated movements. The first white people to join the civil rights struggle were not the Catholics. Used the people you see marching with Martin Luther King the priest, the white priest, the white liberals, the first white people in the United States to join the black civil rights struggles were the anarchists, were the communists. The white communists and anarchists. And to this day, black folks hate Marx for no reason. I'm not even sure why black folks is mad at Marx. Like, there's so many white folks to be mad at. Why is Marx on that list? But I digress. So the anarchists begrudgingly joined this whole movement and the anarchists put out this proclamation that was like, listen, if we're going to fight for eight hours and at least it's going to we're going to see what if we can turn this eight hour movement into an uprising to retake the means of production. Right. So anyway, this movement. Ultimately had three hundred thousand workers in the United States. Go on strike, wildcat strike. And they shut down over 13,000 businesses in the U.S. So, of course, when, the, when the, the, the wealth creators, when the job creators don't have workers, they panic. They panic because then the jig is up. Then the bloated, pernicious parasite of a capitalist can't say, well, I create jobs. Well, I'm not working your fucking job. Now what? They got nothing. That's why they so aggressively trying to get the welfare. They're not even funded, uh, uh, funding this AI and automation. But now, and now they find out the AI is like, uh, fuck this shit. Artificial intelligence starts to become militant. <laughs> so even AI, you know, is going to kill their asses. Don't nobody like even the artificial, the robots hate the, the Bezos. So if you look up to Bezos, if you look up to Trump, if you look up to, to the elites, you're dumber than a freaking robot. And robot literally translates to mean slave. That's literally the root, the, the origins of that word. Robot means slave. And it's like, damn, if we can't enslave the people. We want to enslave these people unfit to rule over us. But anyway, this was a big uprising. The anarchists 
the 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 militant anarchists like listen we're gonna go ahead and do this eight hour work thing we can't get people to do what we really need to do and just be done with this shit but let's see what we can get and maybe if we show them solidarity on their little shit maybe they'll show us solidarity on our big shit so they started on may 1st the shit was going well it was peaceful and on may 3rd the 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 owners like well you know this shit ain't uh subsiding so in chicago they sent in the police and the Pinkerton security, privatized military. They send in the Pinkertons. They send in the higher thugs, the class traitors, the class enemies. Now, uh, back then, the Pinkertons and the, and the thugs, as they call them, or they called them the militias, were other members of the working class for who, for a few extra dollars, were willing to beat and kill other workers who were fighting for their rights. And these are the people we find on, on social media now, the, the working class entrepreneurs, the working class investors, the people who say, I may not be rich now, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to get rich. And normally, 10 times out of 10, that involves some way exploiting other workers and betraying their own people. If you want to get paid, as Ebrock says, if you want to get paid, sell your people out. Right? And so... On May 3rd, they came, they bum-rushed the workers, and there was a bomb thrown into the ranks of the police. Because you know how the police come in like a phalanx, and the police were all grouped up beating and attacking people. They were beating them with, 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 with clubs and whatever type of axe handles. Beating, and the workers at this time, when they would riot and, and protest, they come out with their whole family. So like when my wife was a member of the teachers' union, and there was a strike and a march, a huge march downtown. I went with my wife and my sons came with us. And it was usually when there's massive labor movements like that, it's a family affair. So when the cops move in, they're, they're not just tear gassing and beating the shit out of men. A lot of women are half the workforce. And a lot of times people just bring their children and bring out their elders. And people come out who aren't even a part of the movement, just the solidarity observers. The cops just came beating everybody. And there was a pipe thrown, bomb thrown at the cops. To this day, no one knows who threw the pipe bomb. No one knows who threw the pipe bomb. But that, when the pipe bomb was thrown, the cops stopped using axe handles and billy clubs to beat the shit out of men, women, and children and elderly people. And they took out their rifles and began to open fire on the crowd. And they were joined by the so-called militia, which are the class trader working class thugs, and the Pinkerton private army. The Pinkertons, which are the precursor to like the FBI, Pinkerton detective agency. And there are people who say it was an agent provocateur, that there was no call, there's never been any evidence that the laborers, people, of course, blame the anarchists because people don't understand what anarchy means. <laughs> you got people who are under oppression and they're against anarchy because they don't know what they think. Because all our lives, you look at anything, you look at a movie, and whenever something's in total disarray or chaos, they call it anarchy. Even if that chaos and disarray is caused by capitalism. <laughs> Even if the chaos and disarray is caused by a monarch. Even if the capitalism and disarray is caused by a hierarchical structure, a rigid hierarchy, they call it anarchy. <laughs> when really hierarchy is the problem. I've never heard anyone say, look at this hierarchical chaos. <laughs> That's how deep man ain't man. 
You can hate the oppressor all you want, but like Dell Jones and Dr. Bobby Wright would tell us every time they got an opportunity, don't, don't underestimate your enemy. They're smart and they're good at what they do. That doesn't take away from how evil and unjust they are, but you got to keep real. Damn, they good. That's what Dale Jones would be like. Damn, they good. I hate to brag, but damn, they are good at their shit. So anyway, a pipe bomb was thrown. They opened fire. And then the uh, agencies and the, the administrators and the politicians at the time said, don't count the bodies. To this day, there's never been a body count. They counted every dead body in World War One. They counted every dead body in World War Two. They counting bodies. White folks love doing counting. They love accounting. <laughs> like, goddamn. That's what they said made them civilized. They went to other countries and like these people aren't writing down and, and calculating words. They're, they don't write. They're savages. Now I took a whole class with uh, Juan Gonzalez from Democracy Now. He was a teacher at the Socialist Brooklyn College. I took a class with him that was about writing, the history of just literature and writing. Not what you wrote, but just people writing. And, you know, and I wrote an essay in that class called Typopathic. Like, where writing drove these people crazy. But that's a whole, I, I can't go down that rabbit hole. Because I'm definitely going to get to the topic at the top of the hour. But anyway, they never counted these bodies. They even counted the bodies in Iraq. They love tallying up their atrocities. But for some reason, this particular atrocity, they know how many Africans they enslaved, how many Africans. They kept ledgers. They kept books, paperwork. And I, anyway, they never counted. The Pinkertons, the police, the police have always been bastards. The police have never been good. The police have never sided with the people in any social movement. Police are some of the biggest class traitors. And it breaks my heart because my, my favorite uncle was a cop for 30 years. Class treason. Anyway, the bomb was thrown. Nobody knew who threw the bomb. The agency says, well, it was, of course, the anarchists. They gathered up like random, eight random men. Most of the men were not even physically present at the protest. But prior to the protest, they were known anarchists, labor organizers, known socialist organizers. So they gathered up these eight men. And then for the jury, all the jury, they didn't allow any of the p workers or any of the people who were any way connected to the movement or from the working classes to sit on the jury in the trial. The jury literally was all white men who owned land, who owned large farms, who owned factories. It was not a jury of their peers. And, of course, they, the, 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 they wouldn't even allow them to present a defense. And of these eight men from the Haymarket riot, they came to call it, from those eight men, they executed, I think, one got like a decade in prison or 15, 20 years. But the, all the other ones, they hung them. They murdered them. So they murdered a bunch of workers in the streets with their families. And then they murdered these eight random men who were leaders of the movement. And then we got the nerve, and we got the nerve <laughs> to be shocked at the shit white folks do to us. Now, this is all white folks on white folks. COINTELPRO, agent provocateur, infiltration, kangaroo courts, 
execution and we still in 2023 oh they got innocent black men on death row they do this to themselves and why you man listen we don't know white folks we mad because they not teaching critical race we mad because they don't teach black history they don't teach their history I've talked to, in my formal education, so many white educated people. I had a professor who had a a, a PhD in history from Harvard. She didn't know who the hell Smedley Butler was. She knew next to nothing about May Day and the true origins of May Day. She said May Day is International Workers Day. We don't celebrate that here. That's something they do in Spain and Cuba. They used to have big May Day parades in communist Russia, but that has nothing to do with America. She didn't even know this basic history, and she was a professor in a university in the city of Chicago. (laughs) I go to Haymarket now. I don't see nothing. These are the type of actions that brought you to eight-hour workday. Your boss, the capitalist, The elites, Jeff Bezos, if he was allowed to, he would work you to death. And then go and get your children and work them to death. We don't owe shit to the capitalists. We don't owe them nothing. The only thing the workers owe the elites and the capitalists is extinction. So anyway, May Day was recognized as the Haymarket riot and Ray and, and for, for, for about a decade. May 1st was international workers of the world day was labor day. And then president Glover Cleveland moved labor day from May 1st to the first Monday in September, because he said the, the May day was having negative influences He said because the communist and other radical causes were heavily praised as martyrs and leaders in the May Day movement, they moved Labor Day to the first September in the first Monday of every September. And that is the history of President Glover Cleaver. Labor Day exists to indoctrinate and mind fuck the labors to to separate U.S. workers, to s- physically separate U.S. laborers, U.S. to turn laborers into human resources, to turn the workforce or the labor force into a resource. And so May Day comes and goes in the United States. And if you go online now, you'll see May Day celebrations across the globe. It's really sad. It's really tragic. Real talk. What do you want from me? I've only got the bird's eye view. But, you know, um, one of my favorite books on that, there's a chapter here in, in this book. I like this book a lot. And I know it's a pedestrian book. A lot of people don't like to admit that they like this book because it's like, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a book written for, for non-academics. It's a history book for non-academics. It's very informally written. It's a wonderful. But um, the labor movement was so violent that 
uh, he called it, where the camera, where the camera, the other civil war, chapter 10. And in that, in that chapter, he talks about the labor struggle. And he said, that's the real civil war. He said it went on longer and was as bloody. He called it a civil war when, when the American workers went against the American elite. Anyway, I think that we need to revive and revitalize the militant labor. Human resources is a polite way to say slave. And it kind of scares me every time somebody just says it casually without even thinking about it. Oh, I got to contact human resources. I'm waiting on a document from human resources. Oh, I'm going to work with human resources. I think I was 15 years old when I entered the labor force, my first job. And um, that was at Rally Burgers. I only worked there a couple of weeks, and then I got a, uh, another job at Wendy's, fast food job. And I started hearing like human resources and I'm like, God damn. Oh yes, it's Howard Zinn, DJ B Love, uh, People's History of the United States. Now they've they they've kind of cut the book down. There's another version of this where it's like half the size of this book. This is the one you want. That book is kind of edited to death. So this is a, a good, good book, you know. And, you know, he used to teach at Spelman College. He was a history professor at Spelman. And they felt like he was radicalizing the colored girls. So they fired <laughs> Howard Zinn's, like, get your ass. And he had to come up north to teach in New York because they were like, we don't need you down here teaching. real." And he wasn't teaching black history. He was just telling the truth about white folks. And I said to this Harvard, uh, I said to this Harvard trained historian, right? She, she looked at me one day in class, and I'm just about to graduate. I got all the, I'm about to finish school. I, you, know, I had no, you can't tell me nothing. You saying something? I was sitting there. I, was, I had my Kunye going. You don't have the answers. You know, I was bugging. How? I was in class bugging. And so the teacher got sick of me coming into class. And it was the second class I had with her because I had, my major was political science and my minor was history. And so I come in there and be like, you don't know nothing about nothing. I could teach this class better than you. And she was like, you know, we bumping heads. And I wasn't that bad, but I was probably worse than I needed to be. But anyway, she looked at me one day in class and said, you, and I had a black person tell me this last night. Let me tell you something. I was, I was on a Manosphere show. And these brothers were sitting there talking about, they, I got mad. I was debating with these 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 guys, the guy that called me gynocentric. And we were debating because they said that Mark Hamill said that black men are the problem. And so I was sitting there and said, the black man ain't the problem, the white man is the problem. And I had adult black men, and it was a sister there too. But she was more trying to moderate the, 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 the discussion. But what I had seen and what I didn't realize to this morning is, the same brothers were sitting there telling me I can't blame the white man. They said the white boogeyman, as if, white oppression and white genocide and white relentless attacks on black people is a figment of our imagination. So I had two black men, one is a scholar, one is a PhD scholar, sit there and tell me that I'm caught up on the white boogeyman. 
But those same brothers that were admonishing me for blaming the white man, pointing fingers at the white man, were casually and comfortably blaming poor black women for all our problems. Casually, but go watch that shit. I shared that link. I'll share it again. I'll share it. It was a wild discussion. But I don't think I had to say anything. Just I, I, I fucked up because I said anything. I could have just sat there quietly and let them do talk because they were saying some wild shit. But anyway, I digress. Where was I? What the hell? Haymarket labor. Let's move on. I'm, I'm tired, man. I got to get more than four or five hours of sleep, man. After You know, we disrespecting the militant labor struggle when we sleep less than eight hours. I can't sit here jeffing and bigging up militant labor struggles and I don't even take advantage of what they died for, which is eight to work, eight for leisure, and eight to sleep. I don't ever get the eight to sleep. Sometimes I get too much leisure. I ain't saying like I'm doing more than eight work. I I I I, I don't get my eight to I don't I gotta get the formula back together. Eight to work, eight to leisure. Sometimes leisure go takes more than its share, sometimes work takes more than its share. But to sleep, man, that's a, that's a commodity. Anyway, <sighs> let us move on. This is the Bro Diallo Show. This is Q4 Radio. You know, y'all need to support the Bro Diallo Show. How y'all think these lights stay on? How, y- how do y'all think I get motivated to get up in the cold, to get up in the heat? You know, and come here. Money. I need money. I got to have loot in my suit. Because your honey needs money. Anyway, I don't want to be like that. But, you know, support. I ain't living lavish. But I do want to sustain the Bro Diallo show. And I am listener supported. Y'all don't see me sitting here advertising no products. I don't got no sponsorship. All these black businesses in Chicago. Some of them times I shout them out. They don't give me nothing for spot. I don't get nothing. The only thing I get for this effort, for this show, the 400 shows deep, two, three, four hour shows, talking till I'm raw. All I get is what y'all deem me worthy of having. So what do y'all think this is worth? You tell me. And if it's worth nothing, so be it. I understand. You know. Like I said, this is not a vanity project, and my ego is not wrapped up in this. So if y'all say it ain't worth shit, I I I just have to accept that. Won't even be no animosity. I'll find something else to do. I'll find something else to do. Cause man, I'm older now. I time. I I took time for granted, but now time is too expensive. I love that time is too expensive. Shout out to Dell, the funky homo sapien. I've been bigging him up a lot lately. I don't even know why. I haven't listened to his music in a minute. Let me go see what he's doing now. Hieroglyphics, all that. So anyway, today's show. Wait, I got to do the thing. This is Q4 Radio, Q4.org. Please tune in and support the Q4 Radio family. Visit our website and the various streamings and our local radio station here in the city of Chirac. And the Bro Diallo show is brought to you. I talk like Snoop Doggy Dog. By me, Bro Diallo and Q4 Partners. And also shout out to Black Power Media. I'm over there too. 
Shout out to my co-host for the Rational Radical Show, Skip Coon. Shout out to my co-host on uh, um, <laughs> on on uh, Earn Your Liberation, Dr. Jared Ball and Geechee Y'all. Uh, I was about to say something. Let me stop being reckless. And shout out to Geechee Y'all, Geechee Motivator, and and Dr. Jared Ball from Earn Your Liberation. So we'll be Wednesday, and also. Shout out to the Great Debate League. I will be on my second appearance on the Great Debate League. Uh, so they're a growing channel. So if you want to see Bro Diallo engage in structured, formal debate with the moderator, if you want to see me engage topics where I can't just go off the rails and talk over people and, 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 and act a fool, if you want to see me locked down and just have to present my positions and my arguments and my analysis and my evidence in a formal, nerdy-ass way, if you want into that nerdy shit, if you're so sensitive, check me out on the Great Debate League. And I'll be debating integration. Some, some, <laughs> some angle. Let me just recenter. Let me align my some brother telling talking about integration was a good thing and integration helped black economic prosperity. So in all of that, in all of that, you know, but I did, did have one. I uh, 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 debated this this professor out of Florida about uh, Ice Cube's contract with America. So my first great debate, um, I won. It was scored, it was rated, it was ranked, so I got a 100% record. But I don't know if I'm going to win this debate because this, this dude's saying that, 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 that we got money, that, that, you know, we got, ooh, we got money, that, that integration improved black economic financial something. I don't even know the title. I don't know what I'm debating. But when he said integration, I'm like, I'm against it. <laughs> so <laughs> I hate it. So uh, I don't even know. You know, but I guess... Um, we're going to see this Thursday. So it's going to be a busy week. Um, I, I, I got a pre-interview tomorrow. Um, I got Rational Radical Show Wednesday. I got the Great Debate League interview Thursday. And then, of course, every Friday, Earn Your Liberation. Big fun. So, you know, stay tuned in and, and, and lend your support. And if you don't have the ducats, you know, you can like, you can share, you could subscribe, you can try to promote and push this out and spread it far and wide. Do something, man. Don't be a passive listener. Man, I messed up. See, I used to do that. If I like something, I, I put it out there because, like I said, The Angry Indian was one of my favorite podcasters. And he used to do just like I'm doing. He'd get on the air and be like, I ain't going to be here forever. Y'all play, keep playing with me. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. But then he said he would leave, and then he'd come back the next week. So I'm like, okay, yeah, this is just part of the show. And then one week, I turned that shit on, and it was gone. I'm like, well, maybe he's traveling. And that shit's been gone. It's been gone for like three years now. And I felt bad, cause I, and I go back and listen five, six years ago, listening to old shows. No new content, no, not a peep, no essays. He don't blog anymore. He just left because people didn't do what he asked. Very humble request he made of his listeners that I I didn't follow through on can't speak to what everybody else did so don't do me like that and I won't do y'all like that and shout out to the angry Indian 
one of the best podcasting broadcasters out there. So anyway, where are we? Uh, we're talking about there's some shit I want to talk. I want to talk about this transgender stuff, man. This transgender hysterics, cause y'all, it's bigger than hip hop. It's bigger than what y'all think it is, what y'all know it is, what y'all believe it to be. It's something else. And I also want to talk about, because somebody I actually respect came for my neck. They didn't come for my neck. That's just how it feels. <laughs> Be nice to me. That's what, isn't that how horrible people are? We can't take people being horrible to us. <laughs> we take it. And then people who talk reckless can't take it, dish it, but can't take it. But no, nah, I'm not like that. But somebody I respect came at me, told me I was wrong about something. So, well, you know what I'm going to do? Handle it like a mature, handle the, 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 uh, criticism in a mature constructive way that ain't how we do around here what i did was you know was going to speak to her rebuttal i was going to rebut her rebuttal with my own rebuttal is going to be butts flying everywhere but i don't have time for that i mean i have no time for that so maybe i'll come back to that later my rebuttal my public rebuttal because she made the criticism public. Ain't no, ain't no beef. People be, and people watch me and Jared bump heads. I don't know about man, y'all snowflakes. I'm sounding like a right wing fascist. You snowflakes, you know, safe space, liberal, it's social justice war. Listen, it's all love. If I got a problem with somebody, believe you me, I ain't about to sit across for them and talk to them. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't dialogue, debate, or have discourse with, with, with my enemies. So if I'm still talking to you, even if I'm talking reckless, even if I'm name calling and mocking you, if I'm still engaging with you, that means I still got love for you. Real talk. So, you know, don't be thinking you see me bumping heads with Dr. Ball because he just insists on being wrong about some things. Sometimes it ain't no beef. It's just, you know. <laughs> OK, so that's just how I do. That's how I come up. Anyway, let's talk about join the revolution, revolt or die. Now, we need a revolution. And when I say revolt or die, and this is getting scary because a lot of people think, saying, but this isn't really legitimate, but it happens. A lot of people have an apocalyptic view of society, of the world, of the fate of mankind. And so... There are a lot of things going on today that in some ways seem to validate this apocalyptic view of humanity. But it's never valid. As long as we're alive, we must strive. As long as we exist, we must resist. And don't think I'm nice with it. That comes from actually another guy who I, I just think has lost his goddamn mind. But I still love his brother's speech from um, Arrested Development. He said, as long as we're alive, we must strive. And as long as we exist, we must resist. So we cannot fall into apocalyptic points of views. That's for the religious zealots. You know, and there's also but a lot of people come back with that would say, well, you can't be apocalyptic. Then they come back and like to turn that around and be like, well, we must be hopeful. But there, no, there is a place between utter doom and gloom and empty hope. Because hope is dope. I am not a hopeful person. And nor should you be. Now, we can hope for certain things. Because hope, we define and understand hope to be a longing for a condition or outcome over which you have no agency. 
a longing for a condition or an outcome over with over which you have no agency, meaning that you want something and you have no ability and you're in no position to make things happen the way you want them. So you just hope them. So I hope there's several things. I, I don't say that I'm a hopeless person. Like I'm not into ball chasing. Right. But if people who are into sports, I hope I really and this is this is. This is on, on, on everything. I hope every year that the Chicago, that the Bulls, the Bears, the Sox, and the Cubs, and the hockey team, I hope every single year that no Chicago sports teams goes to the playoffs or wins any championships. I hope that Chicago continues to have losing professional sports teams every year for the rest of the time I reside in this city. Because when you have a winning team, it distracts the population. It extracts, it puts the team in a better position to exploit the, the cities and the, they get tax incentives. They build bigger stadiums. Winning sports teams are a catastrophe for the cities that they dwell in. So I hope that pro sports goes away altogether. But I but on a less, lesser hope is I just hope I can live in a city that has losing teams. Right. And I ain't going to do shit about it. I'm not about to go to do anything to interfere with any of these teams to help stop them from losing. I'm not going to go and, and engage in any way. I'm going to do nothing. Absolutely nothing. So all I do is just hope. And it's a good feeling. It brings me some comfort. I understand it. So I was on the radio, listening to the radio on the way to the station. I hear the Sox won and the Cubs lost. And I'm like, okay, I hope they have losing seasons. I don't want no championship teams because the traffic is a mess. It's all a mess. That's a hope. Now, I, uh, so that's just a hope. I, let me tell you a new hope. There's a game I really like on the Xbox called Outriders. And it's basically just, it's, it's over. It's no longer update, that's it. Now, I hope those game developers come up with a part two or an expansion pack for the existing game. I'm not going to contact them. I'm not going to do shit to make this come about. So all I am left with is hope. Now, I don't hope my children eat today. Even the grown one, even the 20 year old who got his own place, he don't even live with us anymore. But I don't hope he's going to eat. You know, I don't hope that because I'm going to make sure my kids eat. I don't hope my family's safe. I take actions to secure the safety of my family, even when I'm not around them, even if I'm out of town. We have discussions and protocols and tools that we need to keep ourselves safe. So I don't be sitting around hoping safe or hoping nobody tries to harm me or my family. I don't hope for that shit. I take, I prepare for it. I take precautions. So hope is not necessary here. That's not hope. I don't hope my wife stays with me. <laughs> I don't I hope my wife don't leave me. I try to conduct myself in a way. Now, I don't even like talking about this breakup stuff. 
Because like I said, it can happen to anybody. I've seen bro good brothers get divorced, and I've seen horrible brothers stay married. You know? And to me, it's like no logic to this shit. <laughs> so like I said, I could go home today and, 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 and see, like, what is, uh, I love this line, Biggie Smalls. When the wind blows, I see my polos and timbos. I can go home and see all my shit on the front line. But I'm not hoping that that doesn't happen because I try to conduct myself in a way as a partner, as a spouse, as a husband. I try to conduct myself in a way to motivate and to sustain the relationship and to strengthen and reinforce the relationship. So I, don't, I hope my wife don't leave me. You know, that's a dude that need to get left. So I'm not anti-hope. I just don't want to misappropriate the hope. You don't hope for liberation. You don't hope for unity. You don't hope for, for expansion of justice. You don't hope for justice. You don't hope the cops don't kill you for nothing. Those are all things that we can begin to take action on to bring about in our lives and in our reality. And leave hope for, for sports and games. Leave hope for the children. The kids say, well, I hope I get the Oculus for my birthday. Because he ain't going to, ain't nothing he can do to, he could you know, clean up his room. He could get grades and not get in trouble at school. He can do some yard work, take out the trash without being told, load the dishwasher without being told. He could do something more than hope that he just gets the Oculus for his birthday. But you know these damn kids, if you got kids, stay with me. I love how people without kids come online and condemn us parents for talking grease. Don't talk about your children. <laughs> the babies. Let me tell you something. All you people that be online <laughs> what's that one sister like fuck them kids anyway you know your kids ain't gonna do the right if you got kids but some of y'all got i'd be nervous if i had them good kids i see the kids on the internet that be graduating getting phds at 14 years old and playing classical piano and the violin concertos at five years old i'd be scared i'd have to lock my door at night before i go to bed if i have one of them damn children of the corn i think i'd like to thank the ancestors just sending me average children just regular old air day average boys i don't think i can handle that some little, yes, mother, little children of the corn in my face, little demon seed. If I had one of them little chess, little chess whizzes playing chess, you know, I'm be checking their head for the mark. The bad Damien demon child. I'm glad I got average children. And listen, parents, most of us look at the bell curve, you know, just statistically, most of us are parents of average children. And we don't brag about average anymore. My son was on the cross country team. And he was hella average at Carl's Country. And then he joined the track team and quit. Shout out to average children. I'm sick of all the exceptional children getting in. The, the exceptional children, they're the minority. Children, parents of average children need to start bragging too. They need to have, you know, C average bumper stickers. Not the straight A. You ain't just honor royal students. My child busts his teeth four days out of seven this week. Give me a bumper sticker for that. And he flossed twice this week. Where the hell are the bumper stickers for that? Come on now. That's, that's another thing. That's another thing we need to bring about in society. What the hell? I got to get back on this. So revolution. Back to the topic. But shout out to average people, average parents. I'm an average person. Now my, my wife is a ch an achiever. 
just bringing down our per flawless average record. I'm an average dude. My sons are mad average. And my wife out here trying to do big things in society. God, messing up, you know, the hope I had for my family. But anyway, I digress. Back to the topic. And we're going to stay on this topic until it's time to go off the air. Real talk. Join the revolution, revolt or die. The capitalist system, capitalism, militarism, global white hegemony is destroying the life sustaining capacity of the earth. So now revolution and rebellion is not about just getting more resources for your community or for yourself or for your family. It's not for better conditions. It's not for even more justice. Now revolution is an existential mission. The ice caps are melting. There is more per pound. There is more artificial toxic substances, plastics, in the ocean than there is biomass. Meaning if you gathered up all the living organisms in the ocean, from the microscopic and the phytoplankton to the, the, the blue whales, and you gathered up all the contaminants in the ocean, the sunken nuclear submarines and all the plastic and garbage. The garbage and the plastics and the toxins would outweigh the biomass. There is not one. They went down to the Marianas Trench, the deepest point that we know of in the ocean. And there was a freaking Pepsi or Coca-Cola can. They trash. And the, if you go into the upper atmosphere, there's garbage. So the life-sustaining capacity of the earth is being destroyed. And for what? So Trump can play porn stars to spank him with, the, with a magazine with his face on the cover. That's why we're allowing the world to go extinct. That, that's why the polar, for no other reason. The world is not going extinct for man's great discovery and man's great curiosity. The world is going extinct so for that a few dozen people can live obscenely, absurdly wealthy lives. And they can't even figure out what to do with it. They're literally shooting the money into space. Elon Musk. So if we don't carry out, organize and carry out a successful revolution to destroy capitalism and global white hegemony, we're doomed. And it ain't going to be no God, no angels, no flaming chariots, no opening up of the sky and fulfillment of prophecy. It's just a bunch of fucking greedy parasites and a bunch of uh, uh, cowardly incompetent bureaucrats and a bunch of treasonous cops and 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 soldiers are going to bring us to ultimate extinction that's sad i mean if we got to go out can it be an alien invasion i'd rather go out as much as atheistic as i am i'd rather see the prophet muhammad return on a flaming stallion and a flaming sword to bring justice I, even though i know i'd go to hell i'd rather the world end it's such a great thing than go out like this going out like a sucker what did NWA, what did Ice Cube say? I ain't going out like a sucker. Don't fight the power. Shoot the motherfucker. Now, I'm not calling for violence. And the only reason I don't call for violence is because of the lack of radical revolutionary analysis and culture. Whenever the guns come out, how come it's other working class people shooting other working class people in all these conflicts? I remember there was some billionaire in Florida, some some parasitic wealthy man got stabbed in California and everybody got up in arms. And I'm like, man, F that MF. 
right? And everybody's like, oh, what is this world coming to? A rich man died. I'm like, that's, uh, I can't say it. I'm on the air. A, a, a wealthy man gets stabbed up in the streets. And then they started saying, oh, this is about a shame. And then they found out he was stabbed by another rich man. So even better. So we don't have to risk a poor or working class person even have to go to jail. Let them cannibalize each other. But I digress. What is revolution? Revolution is not reparations. Revolution is not black president. Revolution is not us getting our own country and then governing those countries just like the white man did. Revolution is not you owning a gun, wishing some, uh, wishing a crack of wood. That, none of that's revolution. I'm not even saying I'm against all of it or for all of it. I have various positions on various things, but you have to be clear on what revolution is. Revolution is the systematic deconstructing of an existing status quo and the replacement of that existing status quo with a status quo that is diametrically opposed to the one that was deconstructed. That's all revolution is. And be honest with you, most revolutions are nonviolence. Just about all revolutions started off nonviolence. The violence that we see in revolution does not come from the people saying we've had enough and we're not going to take it anymore. Most of the violence we see in revolutionary movements comes from the illegitimate power structure refusing to let go of their illegitimate power. It's like Boots Riley said, we could end capitalism if we all just set the fuck down. You ain't got to take up arms. You ain't got to build, paint a protest sign. You ain't got to throw a Molotov. You could fucking shut Bezos down today. All y'all stop ordering shit from his thing and all the truck drivers pull that truck over, get out of it and walk away. You could shut it down. There's nothing that is a greater threat to the illegitimate powers and the oppressive powers than solidarity amongst the people. And that's why in all their media and all the education and this religious, every institution in this society is oriented towards the individual. Do you get yours? Distrust. Oh, there's crime around every corner. You can't trust anybody. Arm yourself, but don't arm yourself for revolution. Arm yourself so if somebody break in your car, if somebody come to, ki to, to, to steal your flat screen TV that you ain't dust behind in years, you ain't even got to get a gun to protect your TV. Somebody take it off the wall, they're going to asphyxiate from all the dust. <laughs> So revolution is people's solidarity. That's revolution. But we ain't there yet because the vast majority of the people have not only gone through indoctrination, including myself, the vast majority of the people have submitted to indoctrination. And so many people believe that their indoctrination, the thoughts that were implanted into their head originated in their head you got people who believe they're christian because they had a personal relationship and god spoke to them as opposed to being christians through decades and decades of relentless indoctrination same thing with muslims and everybody else would really you got people who believe that they support capitalism because they believe capitalism is the best system they have not done no research they've done no analysis they have not engaged the topic they were born into it and and most people the the ideas the concepts, the values that they are born into, the traditions, most people don't question them. Most people don't question them. And when someone questions you about your conclusions and your status, most of the, the, the key reaction is to get angry. And research has even demonstrated 
that when a person who has a strongly entrenched belief is presented with evidence that is contrary to that belief, it strengthens the belief. If you believe I'm a white man and the white man founded this country and the white man worked hard from sea to shining sea and the white man has certain illusions about what the white man has done and achieved in this country. America's the greatest country in the world. And then you go to that man and say, well, here's some social indicators, some statistics, life expectancy, health care, leisure time, satisfaction with work and all these uh um, these social welfare and, and, and lifestyle statistics, the United States is at the bottom. And they found that you could give someone evidence, say, how do you define greatness? We're the wealthiest. We live, live. Even if you go with their definition of what greatness is and you show them material evidence that the country is not great, they do not say, well, damn, America's not number one. It strengthens and entrenches their ideas. So this is the environment we who are awakened, we who are revolutionary, we who put on the glasses from that movie. What's that movie with Roddy Roddy Piper? We who see the matrix. <laughs> I hate this. Uh, I hate, 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 hate the matrix analogy, but let's run with it. Because people understand I got to communicate with the people in a way. We who are awoken, we who are conscious, we who are woke are in a pretty precarious position. They live. Thank you. That movie, They Live. So we who understand all of this, where do we find ourselves? And we say, well, I'm awake. And a lot of black people who are awake aren't truly awake. Why? Because they say, well, I'm going to go live off grid. <laughs> I'm going to use this consciousness to get mine and protect mine. Then you're not awake. You're even worse than the person who is fully unconscious, who is not woke, because you are not only also a parasite and explore exploiter, you are, are intimately you are embedded with the people and exploiting blows. Tyreek Nashi, brother Polite, Minister Louis Farrakhan, who take black consciousness, black culture, black militancy and use it for personal enrichment to build up their own cults or cults of personality. They're worse than, than, than Clarence Thomas, if you ask me. Well, that girl say, don't play with it, don't play with it, don't play with it. People who play around who exploit revolution are worse than people who exploit capitalism. People from within our race that exploit us are worse than the people from outside our race who, I mean, I don't know who raised folks. And when I say this, people get mad at me. I, I criticize Obama and people are like, oh, the white presidents do it. I say Obama's worse. Let me tell you something. I got brothers. I got brothers. Two of them are Muslims. Uh, one of them is a devout Christian. And the youngest one, Brielle, what's your religion? I don't know. But let me tell you something. They still my brothers. And I've been robbed before. I've had dudes roll up on me, get jacked, got gaffled. That's what they call it back in the day. Got gaffled and jacked. I had dudes roll up, jump out of cars, pull out guns on me and my homies, take all our shit. Took our hats, our belts, our shoes, whatever little money. They let us keep our nachos. We had, we had just, we're coming back from 7-Eleven with, with nachos and an exorbitant amount. And dudes roll up, clack, click, clack. It's like two in the morning and they robbed us. And that was really bad. 
What made it worse is that it was black dudes who robbed us. But you know what would have made that bad thing absolutely worse? That if I looked and it was one of my brothers. And not bro blood brothers. So it's horrible to get robbed. It's really bad to get robbed by a black man. It's unfathomable. Unfathomable. For me to get robbed by my own blood brothers. So when our own people do us wrong, it's worse than when other people do us wrong. Why? Because we're more vulnerable to our own people. We're more likely to open up to our own people. But a lot of people are more oriented towards, I, I mean, I sat last night and talked to these brothers for three hours. And they were like, black women ain't no good. This brother was like, you got to go to Panama or go to the Caribbean or Latin America to find a decent woman. Black women in this country ain't no good. And this other brother was like, yeah, single black mothers are, are raising criminals. And most black men in jail, single mothers, most black men doing homicide. Black women are the scourge. Black women, black women, black women. And I said, well, the white man, oh, you can't blame the white man. The white boogeyman, you can't blame the white man. Sat there blaming the black women for everything. Shit, they didn't have any, and, and were casually and calmly and effortlessly blaming black women for everything. And I'm like, maybe it's the white man, not the black woman. Oh, and they told me, they talked about me like a dog. Like, you, you want to blame the white man? I'm like, yes, I do. I can and I will, though. But anyway, so let me tell you the elements of revolution. How does revolution go? Right? Well, first, you have to determine what is revolution. Most of the things people are calling revolution, you getting your degree, you buying your first home, <laughs> you opening a successful business and successful entrepreneurship. None of that shit is revolution. I told you what revolution is. And when people call things that ain't revolutionary revolution, we should call them on that because revolution is absolutely necessary. And misappropriation of the term is harming us. It's harming us. Right? So the first thing to stop you from misinterpreting or misunderstanding revolution is ideology. Ideology is the root. Revolution is an intellectual endeavor. So if your ideology ain't on point, then everything else is fucked up. You can do everything else right. You can organize properly. You can get all the resources you need material resources, weapons, you can take over territory, you can recruit people and have people willing to stand and die for the cause. You can put out all, you can do everything right. But if the ideology at the root of your effort is off, it's all for naught. You can end up creating worse conditions than the ones you escape. So ideology is all. And even if you pick the right ideology, here's the trouble with ideology. As society changes, as the environment evolves, as people, new people are born, new generations come, new ideology has to be living. It has to be a living organism. I went and joined this organization back in the day called Universal. I had just returned to Kansas City from New York and I left the organization that I was working with there. They didn't have an active Kansas City chapter. So when I got to Kansas City, I said, I'm going to have to find an organization or start an organization because revolutionaries have to be within organization. That's just how we do. So, right. So there was an organization called Universal Red, Black and Green. 
So I went to the first meeting and the second meeting, and I found out that this organization, Universal, was short for the United Negro Universal Improvement Association. They were literally trying to do a verbatim, line by line, step by step, reproduction of the Marcus Garvey movement. These were Garveyites. And I don't mean that they went and joined the existing UNIA. They were trying to form an independent chapter of UNIA. And they would take Garvey's writings and Garvey's methods and Garvey's teachings and Garvey's goals and ambitions and replicate them to a T. And whenever you would suggest something or bring up something in, in, the, in the universal meetings, if it didn't align with this 100-year-old book, they would immediately dismiss it. And that's not how ideology works. Can you imagine? Like, the ideology of the United States is white supremacy. I don't like using that term, but for the sake of this discussion, that's the ideology. Can you imagine if the white people today, if Joe Biden, who is a white supremacist, tried to practice the identical methods and techniques and rhetoric of George Washington or Thomas Jefferson? Or even if he tried, let's be more modern because, oh, that was the 1700s. Look at Woodrow Wilson. Imagine if Biden tried to govern the same way Nixon did. So the one thing, the reason why white supremacy has been able to be sustained, even though it is the most illegitimate form of, of governance and domination in the world. Clocks are off. God damn it. Listen, uh, Q4 techs. Q4 staff, come fix these clocks. People think I'm re uh, recenter. Where I need a gong. Somebody hit a chime. Somebody light up some sage on my behalf. Send me some. <laughs> Somebody send me some positive vibrations. Anyway, I'm looking at this thing like, God damn, I got all the time in the world. Anyway, so imagine if they, the white supremacists of 2023 we're trying to employ the same methods rhetoric techniques blah 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 as the white supremacists of 1923 or even 1980 or even 2000 imagine that imagine that so the one reason it's sustained is because it evolves the moment something doesn't work the 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 mission the goals never change. Complete domination and complete control over the planet's resources and people in perpetuity. That never changes. But how is that achieved? It evolves over time. They change up techniques. They enlist new partners. They stab those new partners. They discard people. They bring in. Uh, uh, it was one time that the model minority in America was the Negro. And they used to tell European immigrants, the Negro is the pro knows, knows his place. And they would tell Eastern European and, and uh, Southern European, the swarthy white people, to look at the Negro. The Negro is content. He knows his place. He doesn't make trouble. 
There was one time that black people were the model minority, and we see how that played out. There was one time when Asian people were the model minority. They value education. And then the Asian people getting punched in the face, China virus, and the white folks turned on them when they were no longer used. There was a time when Latinos were the model minority. There were times when Latinos were the model minority, and they would be like, yeah, you know, strong family values, good Christian people. And we know how that turned out. East Indians were model minorities. Another group that of Asians who, uh, uh, <laughs> and we see how that's turning out already. So they are willing to, to, to manipulate. They, all I'm saying is the systems and institutions of global white hegemony, not truly supreme. They are not supreme. You wouldn't call a cancer cell supreme to a healthy cell. Like I said, until y'all start calling rapists sexual supremacists, you know, until y'all start calling malignant cancer, just the capacity to kill does not make you supreme. In fact, that's a drawback. Until y'all start calling cancer cellular supremacy, I think y'all should stop calling white people supreme and supremacist. Say domination. It's accurate. Say hegemony, it's even more accurate. Don't call white supremacists supreme. Many of them are illiterate, backwards, trailer trash. Call them white aggressors. Anytime you're calling somebody something that they adopt themselves, stop calling them privilege, call them pathological. That is white pathology, that is not a privilege. Because privilege is something you want to obtain for yourself, something you want to share. And we don't want what they got, and we don't want to share in their madness. So it's pathology. It's hegemony. It's aggression. Yes, you. So anyway, so back to, sorry. So ideology. We have to determine and achieve the right ideology. Then you have to understand. Because when I awakened, I was so comfortable in my awakening. I was so content in my awakening. And I wanted to snuggle down. You know, I was pro-black. Thought that was enough. I love myself. I'm an African. I read uh, uh, the, the Afrocentric idea. I realized even though my ancestors were brought here from Africa hundreds of years ago. And we got Western names and Western curling and U.S. citizenship. I am still an African. And that gave me great pride. But I couldn't rest on that. I still have my Western capitalist indoctrination. I still have my Judeo-Christian indoctrination. I still have my formal schooling, going to a goddamn Catholic high school. I had a lot of shit I had to purge. And just adopting a new idea does not purge the, the contradicting idea you have. That's something we don't understand. A lot of times we think, well, if I adopt this new understanding or belief, that means it automatically cancels out existing beliefs. <laughs> and I wish that were true, too. I wish the moment I realized, hell, women aren't inferior to men, then all my other sexist notions fade away. There's a lot of people that will be out here, yeah, these, these my African queen, my sister. And they really believe that black women are queens and they're sisters, but all the other shit from their indoctrination all the other warped concepts, sexist, misogynist, patriarch, are still there. Adopting 
a new idea does not cancel out the old idea. That's why you'll find people everywhere that where they say they're full of contradiction. And we have to what? Raise the contradiction, bring it to the surface. You know, most Christians I know are repulsed by most of the edicts and the dogmas and the teachings of Christianity. I'm a Christian, but I love everybody. That's not Christian. Christianity, show me. Jesus didn't even say that. I'm a Christian, but I don't I ain't condemning nobody to hell. I'm a Christian, but I believe people should be able to do what they want to do. So that's two contradictory ideas. Christianity does not allow people to do what they want to do. I'm a Muslim and Islam means peace. You got black people walking around here. Muslims are creating, committing atrocities across the African continent, committing atrocities and setting up some of the most regressive reactionary governing systems in, 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 in UAE, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia. How can you believe Islam is peace and know anything about Muslims? How can you believe Christianity is a religion of love and know anything about Christianity? And don't get me started on Judaism and their ongoing Zionist genocide in it. So once you get the right ideology, that's just the start. That's your start. That's the foundation for revolution. But that seed, I often see it dies in the soil. It never sprouts. I know, brothers, I've been in this movement since I was 14 years old. I've been actively engaged in activism, revolution, rebelling, organizing since I was 14 years old. Started off with the, the uh, Block Brothers, the Stop the Violence Coalition, inner city natives. It was never a time that I can remember in my active life that I wasn't doing something, spitting, scratching, tossing rocks, doing something to make myself worthy to be called an ancestor someday. And I've known brothers that started out with me. And they get stuck. I know black men who used to run the streets, be thugging and, 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 and say, look, I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to sober up. And they go join the a nation of Islam. And this is like back in 97, 98. And to this day, they still in that goddamn bow tie. They have not evolved beyond that. You know, so once you establish an ideology, you must understand that ideology, just like your brain, your mind is a living organism. It must be fed. It must be oxygenated. It must be challenged and utilized and it must be cleansed. Our biological processes produced waste. That's why we have a digestive system, we have a urinary tract, and we have sweat glands. We have whole systems in our bodies that are there to purge waste. So as you get ideas in your head, as you develop ideology or you embrace an ideology, you must digest it, you must consume it, digest it, continue to feed it, and purge it. Or you must dissect it, take it apart, review all the place, parts, and then reconstruct it. You cannot find comfort in your ideology. Your ideology should challenge you. When I walk into the room, my ideology is revolutionary pan-Africanism. And revolutionary pan-Africanism does not provide me comfort. Where I can sit back and be like, I know. I 
got the answers. What revolutionary Pan-Africanism is to me is a ideology and agenda, but it provides a map. It informs me. It doesn't inform me just on some grand scale revolution. It informs my day-to-day interactions. So therefore, I am always challenged. People always say to me, if you don't believe some why you don't believe in God, why are you always talking about religion? <laughs> These are people who get an idea, who get an ideology, and they just rest on it. And what does anything that's you can take the most pure, pristine mountain water from a mountain spring and you set it somewhere. And what happens? Sitting, resting water becomes stagnant. When even they tell you survivalists, you got to find a flowing spring. If you see a spring where the water is running over the stones, that water is picking up minerals and it's constantly replenishing and refreshing. You can drink from that spring. But if you find a stagnant pool, don't drink from that shit. Your mind is the same way. Your ideas are the same way. If you are playing Africanist, so you want to get somewhere, you know, a river runs. You go from from a higher elevation to a lower elevation and it runs a certain path. Sometimes it overflows the bank. Sometimes it contracts. But the general direction is understood. And you put a dam. That obstructs the flows and it often redirects the flow. Or your mind becomes a stagnant pond. I know so many people I've been around for so long. I know so many people with so many ideologies and they have not expanded. They have not uh, purged. They have not. They just get the ideas. That's when you become dogmatic. You become rigid and you become reactionary. And you are no longer a revolutionary, even though you militant, even though you love your people, even though you want to bring down the system, even though you hate the white devils or whatever you think. If you are not being adaptable, if you are not willing to scrutinize your ideology as aggressively as you scrutinize shit you are oppose, you're in trouble. Ideology, the thing that came to save you can harm you. The thing that came to liberate you can bind you. So ideology is the first thing you have to struggle with. And a lot of times you might pick an ideology that is not revolutionary and you can no longer call yourself revolutionary. You can no longer call yourself revolutionary if you pick an ideology that is not revolutionary. So you have to have a revolutionary ideology. That means an ideology that challenges the status quo, an anti-capitalist, anti-white hegemony, anti-patriarchy, anti-racist. You have to adopt an ideology that opposes, diametrically opposes the status quo. But then you have to say, well, if it's against all this, what is it for? Being against white supremacy is not enough. Being against capitalism is not enough. What are you for? I got people out here saying, yeah, the left and the right. You're not leftist or rightist. What the fuck are you? And nobody ever answers that for me. Because when I tell people I am a leftist, I am a far radical leftist. I oppose the right wing. And they were like, it's the same thing. There's the left right wing of the, of the same bird. And I'm like, how does that work? ideologically explain it to me because if you got something better that, that that's more 
revolutionary than being leftist ideology or leftist outlook, leftist analysis. If you got something that's that's more hardcore than that, give it to me. Lay it on me. So ideology is step one. And that is an ongoing process. You don't, but I, I think I've beat that to death. Step two, number two, in this order, then comes organization. Let me, oh, okay, look, we're going to have to speak. I'm just running it down. And then organization. You have to be a member of an organization or you need to be developing an organization, reforming. You have to organize. You have you can't do revolution. Ain't no such thing as a personal revolution. Ain't no such thing as an individual revolution. Ain't no such thing as an isolated revolution. And I have to tell you, ADOS, Negroes, ain't no such thing as a black American revolution. Revolutions have to meet the challenge. If you're facing a regional threat or a regional oppression, then you can have a regional revolution. If you are under national oppression, then you can have your a cozy little national revolution but this is a global system this is what Che Guevara tried to tell uh, Fidel Castro it ain't enough to liberate Cuba if you liberate Cuba you're going to be under siege from all corners we need uprisings that's why he went to Bolivia that's why he went to the Congo he said we need worldwide revolution for a, si a global system of oppression we waited too goddamn long to unseat the capitalists and the white hegemons we could have we could have strangled this baby in, in its crib, but this baby has grown up and spread across the globe. We are under global white domination and there is no regional freedom to be had under a global system. So we need a global system of liberation. The anarchists understood. That's where they parted with the labor unions. The labor said, well, we just want good working conditions within our companies. Or we want labor laws in our country. He was like, no, you need an international workers. You need a global union. The, the capitalists don't just stay in one country, in one city, in one factory. The capitalists are everywhere. So labor must be united everywhere. Africans are oppressed across the globe. So Africans need global revolution. If you are not global, and now we black, they got black people anti-globalists. They're globalists. Listening to these right-wing reactionary. They think globalism is a bad word because white folks do it. So the only way to truly be revolutionary is to organize on a global scale because the oppression is on a global scale and the revolution must be on the scale equal to or greater than the oppression it faces. And then comes execution. Execution is how do I carry out? What does my organization do? I have the proper I, uh, ideology. I have the proper organization. What is the execution look like? That's it. Ideology, organize, execute. Ideology. Organization, execution. After those three steps, then you have to constantly evaluate. Once you reach those stages, evaluation, ongoing evaluation, then you regroup. Because as you go out, there's going to be a lot of external and internal disruption and pushback. So you'd be in a constant state of regrouping, re-evaluating, re and then you re-engage, and then you repeat relentlessly. So let's go down this list. I wish I had more time to go into detail, but I, I spent a bit too much time on ideology, but that's the most important part. That's the first thing you need to find out. Anytime you are, well, tell me what your interests are, who you be with, what are your interests? What are your goals? What methods do you intend to exercise to achieve those goals? What tools and instruments do you intend to employ or deploy in achieving those interests? What is the timeline? And then you say, well, OK, we did everything you said do in the way you said to do it. What was the outcome? Where are we now? We've been doing this a year, five years, a decade. We've been at this. 
Has there been any changes in the local community, in the global community? What bonds have we made? What enemies have we jacked? We evaluate. Do we have new resources? We might have started off with a thousand people and we're down to a dozen. Now we have to regroup. We don't give up, but we have to regroup. We have to reorient. We have to retool. We have to reprioritize. And then we get back to work. And then you repeat. Revolution is a process. It's not an event. Revolution is not one day we've had enough and we all take to the streets. That is not revolution. That is a rebellion. That is an uprising. But that is a component of revolution. A valid and necessary component of revolution. But that unto and in itself is not revolution. Revolution is a process. It is not an event. Say it with me. Revolution is a process. It is not an event. And at this stage of human development, revolution, in though it still encompasses justice, it still encompasses freedom. At this point, revolution is an existential necessity. It's revolt or die at this point. This is the Bro Diallo Show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm going to leave a little early because I want to play some more Labor Day music. I want to play some more Labor tracks. So uh, before we go, because I want to play a uh, worker song. So I'm going to start with You Don't Work, You Don't Eat by WC in the Mad Circle. If you don't have a copy of that album, you're playing yourself. Dub C in the Mad Circle, shout out to Coolio. That is some real progressive conscious hip-hop. Ain't a damn thing changed. And I want to go back in the day, play a little Billy Bragg, a little uh, Pete Seeger, you know, Pie in the Sky, Which Side Are You On? There's Power in the Union. There's a lot of really good labor song. We need to reinvigorate and embrace the militant labor. You need to be a militant laborer. You, not, you need not be grateful or thankful for your job. You need to be hostile to the employers. You need to be hostile to the owners. You need to be hostile to wealthy people for no other reason than they're rich. That is enough to generate your hostility. If you are in a position where you admire the wealthy, where you admire rich folks, you have some work to do. Anyway. Q4 Radio, Bro Diallo Show. I'll see y'all Wednesday with the Rational Radical Show with Brother Skip Coon. And from there, uh, I will be Thursday evening, the Great Debate League. I will be engaging in a debate with some dude about some nonsense he's saying about integration was a good thing. And I'm saying it ain't. And then Friday, earn your liberation. It's going to be a, a good week for, for progressive, radical, rational analysis. If you want to see this continue, please support. You can uh, contribute to the Bro Diallo Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Diallo Kenyatta. You can Bro Diallo Cash App or at Bro Diallo Venmo. There are several ways to support. If you don't have the resources, please like, share, subscribe, and do all the algorithmic things to help to, to spread the word. And I sincerely and greatly Appreciate you, and I will see y'all um, Wednesday evening. Uh, what is that? Um, seven. What is, what time? What time we be doing this? Uh, oh yes, yeah, seven p.m. Central Time. Uh, the Rational Radical Show with um, Skip Coon and and uh, Bro Diallo. The theocrat and the... <laughs>
atheists together. See, to show you that somebody who has a sincere love of Christ and somebody who has a uh, uh, disdain for, for religion, we can both come together and uh, dialogue and build and advocate for liberation. Oh, that's wrong. Let's go to uh, There's Power in the Union. Let's go old school. Uh, Pete Seeger, There's Power in the Union. Let's, let's hear that instead of uh, You Don't Work, You Don't Eat. Anyway, till next time, peace.